This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. At least 1,900 years and in different forms until it was finally codified into a system that we typically read today. Maybe some of you grew up in churches that every week you recited that. Inside your bulletin, the program on the notes page, we've printed the Apostles' Creed, and I'd like for us to read that together in unison, if you can pull out your program, and let's read together in unison the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, glad you were able to make it today. In front of you in the seat back is a card, a connect card. If you could take one of those cards and fill that out. We'd like to get some information from you or a prayer request or whatever else you might want to write on that card. Uh, just for records, and uh, if you're new today, welcome. Hope you find yourself feeling very welcome, and we want to send you in the mail a little present for your uh, time here today. As I said, we're working through this Apostles' Creed to learn what this creed means for us today, in today's terms. How does this mean according to how we live our life? Today's section deals with Jesus. Last week we talked about God the Father, and today we want to talk about at least a little the first part of uh, what this says to us about who Jesus is. And as we start, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this time that we can share, for your words that have been delivered to us, the things that we can learn about you, and especially, Lord, the way that you are active in our lives, the way that you work within us, the way that you mold and shape our lives into your image. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So that part of the Apostles' Creed that we are looking at today is about how Jesus came to us. And that is the part that said, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now this is in the Apostles' Creed for a very important reason, because who Jesus is means everything to us in the church. Who Jesus is is vital for who we are as his people. We have to understand who Jesus is. That is the first step. But then also it has to mean something to us as we live our lives as followers, disciples, committed believers in Jesus Christ. Now the creed starts out with that word, I believe. 
And that's literally what a creed represents, is the beliefs that we have, what we believe in. And here today, I want to really deal with this. It's not only the things that we believe in. It's not just simply statements, but it's who we believe in. I'm really excited about getting to preach about this because this is the week on Jesus. This is the, this is the main message of the gospel. It is who we believe in. But we have to really understand that word believe, and that's what today really is going to be about, talking about that word believe and what it means for us as we live out our lives. Because in English, in our world, we we typically use that word in a very different way than what we read in the creed or what we see in the Bible. Because a lot of times we might say, you know, I might believe it will rain today. And what we mean by that is I'm not really sure. But there's a possibility. And that's one way that we use the word believe. Sometimes we use the word believe as as something that we are wishing to be true. We're not really sure that it's true, but we really want it to be true. One of the greatest Christmas movies is The Miracle on 34th Street. Now, everybody's had to see that, right? About Kris Kringle, he gets put on trial. Is he the real Santa Claus or not? Anyway... Uh, there's this mother and her daughter that Chris Gringle was trying to convince that there is something to hope for. There is something to believe in in this world. And if he can convince these two people, then his, everything that he's ever done will be for real. Well, it comes down to the very end of the movie. And the little girl has asked Santa Claus, Chris Gringle, for something very special. Christmas Day, they come to the tree, all the kids are gathered around the Christmas tree, and she goes, and there's not a present for her. She's very upset, and she goes off saying, I knew it wasn't true, I knew all this wasn't going to happen. But her mother comes to her and says, honey, you have to believe. You have to take it in your heart and hold it to be true. And so she starts saying this little phrase, I believe, I believe. It's silly, but I believe. And then the movie goes on and finishes in a, in a great way that, they, that her wish actually does come true. But what I want to say is that we typically use that word believe as a wish, that we're just something that we wish for. And that's not strong enough. That's not enough for what we are saying in this creed or in the Bible. There is something more about belief, believing, that we have to know. There is a commitment that we need. There is a trusting relationship that we have to have. Believing really is a dependence that comes upon our life. One of the best illustrations of that I've I've heard is is, uh, from a a missionary in the South Seas. He was a, a Bible translator. He went to the South Sea Island to learn their language so that he could translate the Bible into their language. Well, he he came across the word faith in in scriptures, believing, and there wasn't a word in that language that actually matched the word faith. And so he said, well, I got to find something if there's a phrase or some way to get them to understand what faith really is about. And one day he was, he was doing his work in his office and uh, one of the natives had gone on a long run and, and came into his office to see him and plopped himself down in a chair and said, oh, I'm tired. Let me rest my entire weight upon this chair. And John Payton was the man's name. He said, that's it. That's what I'll use 
for people to understand what faith is. It's resting my entire weight or my entire self, my entire life upon Jesus. It's becoming completely dependent upon Jesus, not simply wishing something to be true, not kind of a mental assent that, well, yeah, this is a fact, something much more than a possibility, something that we are relying upon, that we are giving everything that we have and everything that we are to understand that it is true, that we believe in Jesus. We see this all through Scripture, and one of the, my, my favorite passages is about the Apostle Paul going on a missionary journey with Silas, his companion, and they, uh, they go to a city called Philippi, and they find themselves in trouble. <laughs> they get arrested, put in jail. But they finally come to themselves. They start singing, actually. In prison, they start to sing. And about midnight, all of a sudden, God brings an earthquake that shakes the whole jailhouse and opens the cells of the doors. The doors of the cell, something like that. <laughs> The jailer knows something very bad has happened. There is a problem here. Because if any of the prisoners escape, the jailer will be held personally responsible and he will be immediately killed for anybody that has escaped. So he he hears this earthquake. He rushes in to see that the jail is a mess. He thinks that all the prisoners have already left. He draws his sword and starts to kill himself. But Paul and Silas say, don't, don't kill yourself. There's more to it than that. Don't do that. And he falls down at their feet. And he asks them the question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And it's their answer that we find in Scripture that is so directly poignant to us. So much on what we hear, hopefully, all the time in the church. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. When we hear the word believe in Scripture, it is something very powerful, very dynamic. It's not just a wish. It's not just some mental thought that might run through our head. It is giving our whole life to Jesus. This became very important in the church, very primary. We have to understand who Jesus is so that we know what we are giving ourselves to, to understand the person of Jesus. Now, we've already read the uh, Apostles' Creed, but that wasn't enough for the early church. There became this long, actually centuries-long debate upon who Jesus really is, the nature, the purpose for why he came, what is all of this. And it's been codified time after time, century after century, in various documents. But one of them is the Nicaea Creed, which comes from about 325 A.D., And listen to what it says. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father as only begotten, that from the essence of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not created, of the same essence of the Father, through whom all things came into being, both in heaven and in earth, who for us men and for our salvation came down and was in incarnate, becoming human. See how much the creed has developed? 
how much more there is about the nature and the person of Jesus, this becomes central to us in our faith to understand who Jesus is, and especially this fancy theological word, incarnation, that Jesus became incarnate. And all of you who speak Latin already know that's the word that simply means in flesh. Um, We use that in a fancy way, and it really is a very simple thing. But we're talking about how Jesus, in the very essence of the Father, became human. He became like one of us. Okay, today, I want to look at the Gospel of John and see what he is saying to us. What John's message is about who Jesus is, because it's that message of who Jesus is that calls us, then, to live our lives in relationship to him. Uh, Starting with the purpose of the gospel, John very clear about why he is writing this gospel. And in the gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John tells us, The disciples saw Jesus do many other signs which have not been written in this book, but these have been written in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, those words are sometimes used a lot in our, in our churches uh, because it represents the heart of the gospel. I want to show you today how what John is saying here, he's talking about two things. First is a process. What is the process that we must go through in order to reach the intended result. The process is believing. Believing is an action. Believing is something that we do. It's not just a wish, not just something that we uh, might think possibly could be true, but it's something that we are doing. It's something that we are actively involved in in order to reach the intended intended result. For the Gospel of John, he uses the word life to talk about that. In fact, in John 10.10, another famous verse, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That was his purpose, to give us life. Now, think about that. He's talking to a group of people, just like here we are today, a group of people. Somebody in that crowd should stop Jesus and say, wait a minute, I am alive. My heart is beating, my brain is a little cloudy today, but, you know, somewhat functioning. I am alive. No, we're not, because we haven't found the full life that God has for us. The life that God wants us to live. And the way that we find that is when we believe in Jesus. Believing in Jesus leads to the life that God wants us to have. So in the Gospel of John, a little grammar lesson. I don't want to lose you, okay? But we're all going to talk about some grammar. Uh, Don't get lost. This will be quick, painless, hopefully. The Gospel of John uses the word believe, which is a verb. He uses that word 98 times in the Gospel. Plus, there's one other time where he talks about uh, the adjective from that word, which 
we translate as faithful. So one time faithful, 98 times for believe. John never uses the noun. And the noun in English would come out either as belief or faith. It's, it's actually exactly the same word. For some reason, we have two words in English that are exactly the same. Uh, John never uses the noun. And I have the stats up here. You can see that very quickly of how that compares to the other three Gospels. This just shows that John has a very important reason why he is doing this. Look at the emphasis that John is placing, not upon some static noun that we might say faith, but upon the process, the action of actually putting ourselves in a trusting relationship with Jesus, believing in Jesus. This is the method that John has used to try to show us who Jesus is and and for us to be able to see what we need to do about it. John starts off the gospel by, again, what we talk about as the incarnation. Uh, A great passage talking about how Jesus, as God himself, in the very nature of God, has come down to our level. That's what we refer to as the incarnation. That Jesus, the Word of God, or here I've used the word logos, because I want to drive home a point here about this. The logos of God has become one of us. So in John chapter 1, the first four verses, in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God. And the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, not one thing exists. What came into being through him was life. And the life was the light of the people. Logos is the Greek word that we use for word. But it's not just simply an ordinary word. It's a principle. And I want to drive home that principle today. That when John is using this, he's talking about more than just individual words that we might use, but a principle that actually governs our entire world. That this Logos, God himself actually, the same essence as the Father, the same nature of the Father, that Logos was the creator of everything that exists and came to us as life that we might have life. Skipping down a couple of verses in that first chapter of John, we find verse 14. The Logos became flesh and dwelt among us and we have beheld his glory Glory as the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this Logos, don't think it's anything um, extraordinary. I just want you to, I want to drive home that point a little bit using that word. Uh, We can look at it in in a very broad perspective. This was actually a Greek philosophical concept, and that's why John is, is choosing to use this word, that it's that idea from Greek philosophy of how God made everything, that's who Jesus is. 
in the Gospel of John, we don't have an account of Jesus' birth. In fact, out of the four Gospels, there's only two Gospels that actually talk about Jesus' birth, Matthew and Luke. The Gospel of John wants us to see that there is something beyond his physical birth. It's who he was before he came to us. That's vital for us to understand. Throughout the Gospel of John, we hear this in a couple of ways. One one is like this, that people keep questioning, well, where's this guy from? Isn't he from Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. They keep saying things, asking questions about where Jesus is from. And John is trying to tell us, you think you know where he's from, but it's not Nazareth. It's heaven. Because God himself has come to us. And he is here before us in this person of Jesus. That's the Logos. And we have beheld his glory. Here is John as a disciple looking at the man Jesus and saying to us, we saw his glory. Now, he's not talking about his physical eyes, that there wasn't anything particularly striking or unique about Jesus. He would look like any other ordinary man. But to me, what, what it really is saying is like those medieval paintings. Have you seen some of those? Anytime in the medieval ages when they drew one of the saints or especially Jesus, Mary, or anybody else like that, there's always this huge halo, this light shining from behind their head. And that's the image really here that John is trying to give us. There is this glory that shone out from Jesus. No, you couldn't see it with your physical eyes. And that's why there were many people who did not understand who Jesus was and why he came. But when you believed in who he was, then you could see his glory. And it was a glory that comes because he is the Logos, the link between God and us. He is the one that unites us together, that brings us back into a relationship with God. There is a uh, song, it's kind of old now. <laughs> what if God was one of us? Might ring a bell, huh? And it asks that question. And, and to me, it leaves me wondering, don't you know that Jesus is one of us? God did become one of us in Jesus Christ. That was the whole purpose. That was everything that God himself has come and lived as a human being. Also, in your worship folder today, there is an insert that starts out at the top that says, Liar, Lunatic, or Lord. This is a quote, first of all, from C.S. Lewis. That's at the top of the page. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis was a a very popular and famous British author, especially in the middle of the last century, the 50s and 60s. He actually wrote some, several, many books, uh, but some of those books have recently become movies. Uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series have movies. Uh, He's the author behind all of those, as well as many other things, Uh, like the Screwtape Letters is one of my favorites. 
But here in this book, C.S. Lewis sets up this image of, with these three words, liar, lunatic, or Lord, to actually show us, do we understand what Jesus meant when he said that he was the Son of God, when he came to us and talked about who he was? And all you can read the quote at, at home later, but at the bottom of the page, here's the three options that we have. Jesus said these things, so if they were not true, and he knew they were not true, then he was a liar. Well, if Jesus said these things, and he knew them to be true, then we have a dual choice. Either he was nuts, who would believe that this guy is the son of God, or he actually is the son of God. And that means there is something that we need to do about that. That's what I'm talking about today. That we must make a decision. Because to say that Jesus was simply a great man like Mahatma Gandhi, Buddha, Confucius, anybody else ever in the entire world, just to say that he was a great teacher does not represent what Jesus himself said. And if we come to understand who Jesus really is, then it calls for us to make a decision. It challenges us to see that there is something about our lives that we need. And if we are ever going to get to the result that God wants us to live in, the life that God has called us to live, then there is a decision that we have to make. Is Jesus truly Lord of our life? So, incarnation, the nature and purpose of Jesus. But what does this really mean for us? In uh, the book of Hebrews, there are actually many passages. I've chosen one today. I know you won't thank me for that. I could read many, but I'll just read one uh, from Hebrews chapter 2, talking about the purpose of the incarnation. Therefore... He had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in things relating to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. So, three things quickly that I want to bring up about this. First, God is with us. There is no question. God himself became the man Jesus. God is with us. And at Christmas time, we talk about Emmanuel, God with us. Or at Easter time, we see Jesus raised from the dead, talking with the disciples, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. That's what the incarnation means, that God is here with us. He is one of us. Secondly, though, here in this passage in Hebrews especially, that God is for us. He knows our situation. He knows what we need, and he is here to help us. Thank God. Hallelujah. 
That's why he came. And third, in the words of this scripture, that he came to make atonement for our sins. And that's actually going to be a different part of the creed that we'll start working on next week. That's the purpose of what Jesus came to do. So now it comes down to us. What do we do about it? One of the most beautiful, most familiar passages of Scripture, John 3.16, gives us the answer. So simple, so straightforward, something that you, know, you go to... Uh, or watch TV especially, and you see a, a ball game or anything else in a big stadium, and somebody is probably holding up a sign that says, John 3.16. Because it is so simply stated of what Jesus came to do for us. Let's read first three verses here. <clears throat> Thus God loved the world so that he gave the one and only Son in order that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned, but the one who does not believe has been condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of of the one and only Son of God. You see how John is using believe here? It is a trusting relationship. It is not simply saying, oh yeah, that's Jesus. But it's involving us in a trusting relationship with him. That we are leaning our entire weight upon Jesus. We could go back to Hebrews and read chapter 11 which is the great hall of faith talking about all these people and the way that they trusted God. Just I'll pick out one, Abraham. Abraham heard God make a promise to him. God called Abraham out of his land, away from his, his, his origins, and said, come to a land that I will give you, and I will give you a son. Abraham heard that promise, and he got up, and he left everything, to follow this God. God that he really didn't know yet. For a promise that he didn't know could really be fulfilled. But he risked his entire life to do that. About a hundred years ago, uh, when it was legal, I guess, was part of that. <laughs> uh, there was a tightrope walker who stretched a, a, a rope, a tightrope wire across Niagara Falls. And, you know, a big public spectacle. Here's this rope walker walking across Niagara Falls. And he walked all the way across and came all the way back. And then he uh, quieted the crowd down and asked them a question. Who here believes that I can do that again? And all of them clapped their hands. Oh, yeah, we just saw you do it. We, we know you can do it again. So then he grabbed a wheelbarrow, and he put a wheelbarrow up on the wire with him. And he pushed the wheelbarrow across and brought it back. And the crowd's all, wow, this is amazing. And so he quieted the crowd again. Okay, who believes that I can push this wheelbarrow across there again? And they all, oh, yeah, we, we, we know you can. And then he asked the question, who will get in the wheelbarrow 
That's the difference between the way that we typically use the word believe and what John and the Bible and Jesus are actually saying, that we are getting in the wheelbarrow and allowing God to run our lives. We are trusting him with everything that we are and all, all of ourselves, we are giving that to him. That's the first part. That's a trusting relationship. The second part comes out in the next three verses found in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. But people love darkness more than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone doing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. The one living the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may reveal that they were done in God. Now this brings the two parts of it together, just like the wheelbarrow. It's not enough just to make a statement saying, oh, I believe, but it's actually committing ourselves to living it out. And for us, that means lifestyle, that there is a lifestyle that we live as we are trusting in God, as we are believing in Him, it depends upon the way that we are living our lives. And a simple little way that I always like to talk about that is using the word faith. Because a lot of times we say, oh, I don't have much faith, or I really don't know what faith is. Well, simply faith is faithfulness. That's what it is. That we are living in obedience to what God has said to us, that we are believing. Not just realizing that something might be possible, not making a wish, not just a mental assent about something, but actually risking everything that we are, everything that we are resting our entire weight upon who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That is life-changing for us. In fact, it is life for us. Without it, there is no life. Yeah, our brain might function, our heart might beat, but we're not really alive until we understand and live out who Jesus is. Now, I'm talking about believing in this way and my whole aim today has been to lift up this image believing is not just this mental action that we might do believing is actually our entire lifestyle and I believe that I uh, I know that's the message of scripture and yet I look at my life and I say, I'm, I'm, I'm still down here somewhere. I know where I should be, and yet it comes out a little short. And I think maybe some of you might feel that way as well. And if so, it's probably because we, we focus more on the stuff of our lives. I'm worried about the things around me. My home, my job, my family, the desires that I have, the goals that I have. 
And we don't understand what it really means to make Christ our Lord. Now, I say that, and I want to make a distinction. Make, I want to make it clear. Um, probably at some, point, some point in, in American culture, there is this big thing that uh, most people go through about saying that Jesus is our Savior. And I say it that way because you hear it from every politician that's ever been on stage, right? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Jesus is my Savior. But you see, what we haven't done is actually make Jesus Lord of our life. We haven't committed all that we are to him. To understand that we take our direction from him. That we live our lives because he is God in the flesh. And he has come to deliver us from this world so that we might find the life that God has given to us. That changes the way we look at our our jobs. It should, anyway. Our jobs are different. Maybe the things that we play at are different. Our our playtime, our recreation, it should change that as well. If Jesus is Lord of my life, then what am I doing in these recreational areas? How is that reflecting the nature of Jesus? What about the things that I buy or the things that I go do with money or just with my time? How does that really reflect that Jesus is Lord of my life? And if we come down to a little more personal areas, what about my thoughts, my desires, my relationships? How am I actually living out the fact that Jesus is Lord, the Son of God, and I am giving all of myself to him? Daniel? Come where Daniel? Oh, right here. Come back up. Let's, we're going to sing a, a last song, and as he comes, to me, to me personally, uh, uh, this is a call to action for me, a call to evaluate. And I, I hope for you that there is a sense that you will do that as well, to evaluate the things in your life, the things that you buy, the things that you do, the work that you do, your attitudes, your thoughts, your emotions, all of that, wrap it all together. Have I truly surrendered to Jesus? Because until we do, there is no life for us. Yeah, we may live out our days, our heart kind of going on and functioning, brain somewhat a little bit. But we're living far below what God wants us to know in this world. Stand with me and let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that you are so loving to us, that you have provided the way for us to escape the mundane, even realities of this world and to find true life in you. Help us to perceive that, understand it, to know who you are and why you came and to live it out day by day all of our time and all of our relationships and all of our activities. In Jesus' name we pray.